So today we're looking at what it means to wait on, wait on the Lord, to wait on, wait on God. Um, I've grown up kind of like this charismatic Pentecostal background, and so what that means is um, I've heard this phrase so many times, and I've heard it so many times in conversations, and so like um, you'll be chatting to someone, and they'll be talking about being single and wanting to get married, and they'll be like, I'm just waiting on the Lord. And then I'll hear someone who's talking about they're in a situation they're trying to find work. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Um, I hear someone say like, um, so like with um, say the, the church they go to, what they're doing or ministry wise, well, I'm, I'm just waiting on the Lord. And people say this phrase and just chuck it out there. And I'm like, like, for a long time, people make a lot of assumptions based upon what that actually means. And you basically make your definition based upon the particular group of individuals you hang around with in a Christian circle. So in the Christian subculture, you find different strands talking about and using that phrase in so many different ways. And sometimes it sounds no different than waiting for a bus. Um, like, I wait for a bus. I wait in McDonald's. I wait in a queue. It's like, God's, God's got you in a queue. He's got you in hold. We'll be with you shortly. And then the background music starts playing of life. It's like, well, what does waiting in God mean? What does it look like? What does it entail? Am I waiting correctly? Am I, have you ever had that, that, that kind of anxiety when you're in a real sticky situation and you fit, you're waiting on God, you're bringing it to him, but you're kind of like, am I, am I on hold? Like, <laughs> hello? Is, is there anyone, am I on hold? Like, what, am I waiting correctly? What am I supposed to do while I'm waiting? Is it just like sit there, bang in a room and be like, God, I'm focused on you. Like some kind of like chi. <laughs> is it like, is it Star Wars? Is it the force? Is it, is it what? I, I don't know. People just throw this phrase around. Now, in Isaiah 40, which is the chapter we're going to be looking at today, um, the context, the difference between um, chapter 39 and 40 is about 150 years, not in terms of writing, um, because obviously the dude wasn't around that long. Um, Isaiah wasn't. But in terms of where he's speaking prophetically, so as a prophet, he's speaking ahead into the future of what's happening with their society, what's going on right now, where that's going to lead them, what that's going to mean, the repercussions. So in Isaiah 40, we're talking about a time where they're in the Babylonian kind of dispersion, diaspora, and um, it reads like this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So Isaiah's like, God's basically said to me, I want to comfort the people. And there's one thing about prophets, they do two things. They afflict the comfortable and they comfort the afflicted. It's how it always goes. So you'll be reading a passage and you'll be feeling comfortable. And then there's a passage that's not aimed at you, the person who's really anxious. It's aimed at the people that really don't give a darn about anything. And it starts to really lay in and then you start to feel anxious again. You're like, oh. um, but it's kind of a prophet speaking to two different groups of people, those that are comfortable and those that are afflicted. He comforts the afflicted, he afflicts those who are comfortable. And so comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway for our God, John the Baptist. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough place is plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Also, it's important to notice when we talk about glory, that's the kind of thing, if you've been in the Pentecostal charismatic church, has a stigma attached to it as well. Glory just means weight. So like the weight of God, the heaviness of it. So 
A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Um, so he's speaking to the fact that things fade away, but God is eternal. This is really important for this people because they're enslaved to another group of people. And what would happen at that particular time is if another opposing army conquered you or you were at war with someone, it wasn't just you, two nations were at war, um, two gods were at war. And whichever god won, the other people took on the other god because they were like, well, that god's clearly greater. But these people, the children of Israel, are in, enslaved. And so what Isaiah is making the case for is he's saying, well, actually, all things kind of fade away, but God's word remains. And so he's saying, even in the midst of our situation, there's continuity to who God is, that he is still with us, that he is still for us. And the context of their suffering is like absolutely astronomical and is huge. He's, he's saying that there's this continuity, there's this consistency, that it continues on regardless. Get up to high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of, Jeh- of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and with his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them close to his chest and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? So he's continuing on this argument, making the point that God is still great regardless of their circumstance. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. He goes, this issue is so tiny. It may be big to us because we're in the midst of it, but God is bigger than the situation. And are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare him with? An idol? Something a man has made? A goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for iron, if it casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that would that will not chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and the spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely 
has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither and their tempest carries them off like stubble. He's like, these are great mighty empires he's talking about. And he's like, God blows and they are gone. They disappear. For you, they're here as this fixed, established thing that is certain, that is sure, that is steadfast, that is last. But for God, it's just a moment where he blows and it's there one minute and it's gone the next. To whom then will you compare me? What should I be like him? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who creates these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and the young men fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like eagles' wings. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that is how the chapter ends with Isaiah 40, 31. But it all hinges on one definition. Because in this context, what we have is we have people that are really suffering. When we did this series on Lamentations, it was talking about times of the diaspora and the, the dispersion, the Babylonian dispersion, and the way that the children of Israel were treated that some women were so broken, so poor, that we have two babies here. They ate them to survive. That's how bad things were in their context. Don't worry, babies, we are not going to eat you today. We're in a restaurant for a start. We definitely don't need to cook them. But that's what people went through. They were cooking and eating the flesh of their young to survive. And so in the midst of this context, you have Isaiah kind of dropping this mixtape, spitting these bars. It's all kind of poetic the way that he's written it. You may not see it, but in the Hebrew, there's real flow and this picture. And there is none greater than this last verse where he says, But they who wait on for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But the wordplay he's playing is insane. Because in the Hebrew, what he's, the word for wait, doesn't actually really translate literally as way. It's a pictorial word. That's how we've chosen to interpret it. But it's a word kavar. And what kavar means is it's like a dude. Like it's like it's the waiting process that it takes when you take two strings or a couple of strings or however many strings you want and you start to wrap them like cord, like rope. So you're building a rope. So the idea here is that those who are twisted like rope like strings around the Lord, they will renew their strength and they will rise up like the wings of eagles. So there's this active process where what the individual is doing is they are entwining themselves around God, with him, in him, becoming interwoven. And what happens with a string is when you apply the weight, so it talked about glory, the weight of life, the glory of life, the pain of life, the hardship of life, when the weight comes down, we as a single strand of string just snap under the pressure. Have you ever felt like the weight in your life was getting real and that you were about to snap, that you're about to just completely lose everything? Well, in this passage, what it's saying is it's speaking to a people in slavery, a people who have seen their neighbors have to do the most deprived acts just to survive, people who are so broken beyond our comprehension and our context, 
who feel like their string is right at the end. It's about to snap. It's about to give way. And Isaiah's prophetic word to them is he goes, those who kavod with the Lord, those who intertwine themselves with him, they will renew their strength because what's going to happen is the weight is going to pull. And with a rope, what happens is when you, you twine it all together and the weight comes down on the rope, it stretches the, the strings, the individual strands. And when the individual strands get stretched, what happens is they tighten and they stick together and they get stronger. And you know what? When you cavard with God, when the weight comes down, what happens is your rope doesn't snap it strengthens and it grows stronger. And you know what? I've seen it. I've seen it this week with the conversations that I've had with different people. I saw a guy at work. Where I work, we work with various different young people. And there's this guy who was one of the youth there. And um, like he's been through like crazy, like proper roadman life and all that. Turned his life around. And then chatting to him this week, I found out that he was kind of, he'd just been soul survivor that he's kind of going for God kind of thing, which I did not know, but I just knew that he'd lived one life and now he's living another life. And I saw him this week and like his hand was bandaged up and his knee was all bandaged up. And I was like, dang, what happened? He goes, I got hit by a car. I was like, what are you doing running about in the road? He goes, no, it was from back in the day. They tried to run me over. They deliberately ran me over to get back at me. And so I didn't know this point about the whole Soul Survive thing. I didn't know like his affiliation with church, any of that kind of stuff anymore. I didn't know what the shift had what shifted caused his life to change like that. So chatting to him, I'm like, okay, well, you know, so I want to talk to him about like, what, what's next? How do you deal with this? How do you deal with them kind of thing? And so I started talking to him about Boost. I had a conversation with him once when he was shooting like a music video and someone drove by and shot his cameraman and people were out after him and he literally phoned one guy who was after him and goes like, fam, I'm not in that wave anymore, you know? And started telling him the gospel about how Jesus has forgiven him and how he's on that forgiveness way. And he goes, I'm not coming for you, bruv. Like, da, da, da. And the guy was like, wow, you know, this is kind of deep. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's calm. And it was just cut. It was squashed like that. For a phone call, just being honest, real, talking forgiveness, talking the gospel. I was like, dang, that is an amazing story. I started to tell this guy Boost's story. And he goes to me, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not doing anything back to them. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm done with that. And I was like, wow. You look to the two types of person, and what was the difference from the man he was and the man he was now? Kavod, Kavar, even, Kavar, that he had wrapped himself around God. But this time, when the weight fell in his life, he'd been hit deliberately by a car trying to injure or kill him. And he's like, it's a minor man, it's done, it's forgiven, it's gone, whatever, man, it's moving on, you know, I'm not getting involved in that stuff. And I was sitting there and I was like, wow, this is a guy who I know who's waited on the Lord. I can think of other friends of mine at the moment going through different situations. I can think of friends who've lost so much. I can think of friends who've lost fathers, who've lost brothers, who've lost sisters. I can think of um, close friends that have lost their daughter. I can think of friends who've lost all these different types of things. And it's in those moments when severe weight and pressure is placed upon your life that it's whether you kavar that's going to define whether you're going to get through it or whether you don't get through it. Now in Ecclesiastes... 412 it says a cord of three strands is not quickly or easily broken and that is exactly what Isaiah 40 verse 31 is about it's about making sure that you are entangled in the goodness of God that we have it interweaved in our lives some of us here might right now might be going through some really crazy stuff really hurtful stuff really high pressure stuff and we feel the weight that's coming down on us and we feel like how am I ever going to hold on to this and we need to shift our focus from how we hold our focus and how we deal with this 
to how do I intertwine myself with God who's going to carry this weight, who's going to carry me through it. I'm going to finish with Jesus because Jesus is always a great way to finish. Son of God, all that jazz. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the reason this matters is because he's in a place where the weight is really coming down on him. Because if there's anyone that can identify with every single human being, when it comes to the moment of our sin and our weakness, he never made the decision to sin, but the weight of that sin came down upon him. And he felt like that pull. He felt that tug. He felt that kind of pressure coming down on him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happens is there's this moment where Jesus is like, is like with his disciples and he is feeling this pressure and he is sweating blood and he is freaking out. He is coming under insane pressure because the whole weight of not just mankind, the weight of the universe is on his shoulders because the Bible says that in Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself. He's correcting everything in that moment and this is about to come his way and he's feeling this pressure and the temptation and the pressure is to get away from this. If there's any other way, Nevertheless, let your will be done. And Jesus takes it. But what does Jesus do in the moment of the biggest pressure of his entire time on this earth as God becomes flesh and blood? What's the biggest pressure that comes upon him? What does he do? Kavar. He just prays and he entangles himself with God. And then what happens? He bears the weight of humanity and he bears the weight of the universe. And in him doing that, what does it do for us? A friend recently said to Jody a little while back, um, they were talking about their life. We didn't really know what issues they were going through, but they just said to us like, man, things are just so mad tough in our life. And when I look at you guys, everything always works out for you. And I remember Jody saying that to me. I was like, are they crazy? Are they insane? Do they just like not look at us? Do they just not know us at all? I feel like the weight of the universe is just slamming down on us sometimes, trying to crush us into oblivion. I feel like there's a child with a magnifying glass and I'm the ant. I feel like there is someone just constantly trying to stamp on my head and I'm like, rope, rope, get in between the gaps of the boot. I feel like an ant getting crushed constantly. I'm like, is this person kind of crazy? I feel the weight of the situation. But do you know what this person sees? They see someone who's kavar. They see someone who's entangled with God. And I feel the weight of it. A bit like Jesus felt, he still felt the weight of it in the Garden of Gethsemane, but God enabled him to go through it, to push on, and to bring release and healing to all mankind, the universe. But do you know what it looked like to everyone else? And do you know what it looks like to everyone else when they see God work through you? It looks a bit like this. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles, effortlessly soaring through the sky. Me and Jody have been walking through situations where we're like, oh gosh, how is this? Oh my word. But this person just sees these eagles soaring through the sky, unaware of what's really going on and helping us through the situations we face. We face situations that we cannot hold the weight of, but we know the one who if we entangle ourselves in him, it will end up being just as eagles soaring as opposed to us carrying the weight. I'm going to pray for us today, and that will be it for today's talk. Father, I thank you for Isaiah. I thank you for the picture he gives us. So often we spend our whole lives trying to carry weights that we cannot carry, that we weren't even meant to carry. 
May we learn to entangle ourselves in you, interweave with you, that even though the weight is too much, all it will do is it will stretch us to be closer to you. And that in that moment, the weight can be carried because you have carried the weight for us on the cross. That you are reconciling all things to yourself, that you're bringing about the correct balance to the universe and to our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come today, that you would entwine yourself with each one of us, that whatever we had in our quiet time, whether we had a thought, an inspiration, a moment, or whether we had a Bible verse or we felt you speak to us, or whatever it is that happened, or whatever it is that's happening in our lives now, or whatever it is that's going to happen, may we entangle ourselves in you, that we may find ourselves soaring on the wings of eagles, not because we have that capability, but because your grace is the difference maker and the enabler in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.